Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. It's great to be here with you guys today. My name is Zach Wright. I'm the Frisco West Campus Pastor, but I'm here at East today, and I'm excited to be hanging out with you guys. It's going to be a fun day together. For those of you watching online from our online campus, welcome to my friends at the Prosper and McKinney campus. Glad you guys are joining us today. And then, of course, my home, my people, Frisco West. I love you guys. We got some rain this morning. It was nice. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but you know those commercials where it's like, we can't stop you from becoming your parents? There is some, this has just recently started happening. There's something inside of me that every time it rains... For some reason, I have a cup of coffee in my hand, and I have to go stand at the window and just watch my grass get watered and just start thinking, man, we needed this. (laughs) I can't help as much as I fight it. I'm becoming my parents. There's so many situations that it happens. A couple months ago when the big storms came through, maybe you guys remember this, the sirens go off, and there's this instinct inside of me that's like, tells my family, go get in the closet. I got this. We go outside. And it's just power stance, like watching the storm. I look over, there's another neighborhood dad doing the same thing. Give him a nod. What are we going to do against the storm? I have no idea, but we're assessing the situation, you know. These are, <laughs> you didn't ask for any of that today. That's just like, uh, maybe we'll do a parenting sermon at some point. But for the parents, like how to keep from becoming your parents as you grow older. Well, today is a psalm series, not a parenting series. And over the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Psalms, and this series has been called Psalms of Summer. Each week, we're looking at a psalm and what it has to say for our lives. So the book of Psalm, it has 150 chapters, most of them written by David, and it's just an incredible book that spans the entire range of human emotions. It's been a great series so far. So here's just like a recap of where we've been. Week one, you have to start chapter one, right? Blessed life, Pastor John kicked us off. Week two, Psalm 23, we talked about our spiritual journey. Week three, if you remember, Marcus Lloyd was here on Father's Day, did an incredible job of talking about fatherhood and freedom. Week four was our campus pastor weekend. We talked about confession, repentance, and restoration. Last week, Pastor John talked about what it means to be satisfied with who God is. And today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 69, an unfiltered emotion. What does it look like to be completely honest with God? All of who we are, everything that we feel. Do you know people without a filter? You know this type of person, right? You maybe are elbowing the person next to you right now because it's them. It's the type of person when they have a thought, it just zooms right out. There is nothing stopping it. And most of the time, they are really fun to be around. You're like, ooh, that's funny. Everybody was thinking it. Nobody said it except you, so thanks for saying it. And other times, You think, I have to pretend like I don't know them because you definitely can't say that. Just no filter. Everything they think comes right out. Did you know in our conversations with God, we don't have to have a filter? A lot of times we feel this pressure to have it all together before we can come to him in prayer. Okay, I've got to get everything sorted out, everything situated, and then present the best that I have to God. I can't tell them the hard stuff, the bad stuff, or how I really feel. I've got to have it all filtered out, and then I can talk to him. 
But what we're going to learn today, especially as we read this psalm, is that God can handle everything that we are, all of us. We can give him our unfiltered thoughts, no matter how bad or painful it might be. And as we do that, it allows him to speak into our lives. It allows us to trust him with the hard stuff that we experience. I don't know about you, but I experience a lot of obstacles in prayer. When I'm thinking about what it means to talk to God, there's a few things that are just difficult that I have to work through. I want to share a few of them. Maybe you can relate to some of these. The first one that I experience, if I'm being honest, it's motivation. Sometimes I just don't feel like it. I don't like to admit that, but there are times where like, I know prayer is good for me. I know I should spend time with God, but I'm tired, I'm stressed, I've got all these other things going on. And unfortunately, most of the things that are good for us in life, that we know are good for us, we don't always feel like doing them. For those of you who work out a lot, physical fitness is important to you. If you only went to the gym when you felt like it, how often would you go? Not that often, our gyms would be pretty empty. You develop the habit and the discipline of going even when you don't feel like it. Another thing in my life, this is just the stage of life that I'm in right now. So I have two daughters, some of the greatest joys of my life. They're nine and seven right now. And every night, one of the most important times of the day is bedtime. And for me to engage with them is so important because we have this time together. It's an opportunity to connect. But unfortunately, my lowest mental point of the day is also their bedtime. So if I only engaged with them when I felt like it, it wouldn't happen very often. And also, they ask some of the craziest questions. They'll be like, Dad, can I have some water? And also, does God have a belly button? (laughs) What? Does God have a, go ask your mom. (laughs) That sounds like a mom question to me. There's so many things in life We don't feel like doing, but we know that they're good for us. And as we develop habits and disciplines, it allows us to push past that and continue seeking after these things that help us in life. And prayer is one of those things. The next obstacle that I faced, maybe you can relate to this too, insignificance. As I'm praying to God or as I'm asking for his help with something, then I start to think about the billions and billions of people in the world and think, does God really care about this Problem, this small thing that I have in my life? Is it selfish to even ask about this when so many other bigger problems than mine are happening around the world? Here's the problem I think that we run into. If we're only ever coming to God with our problems, then we often feel insignificant. You see, God cares about a whole life relationship with us. He does care about our problems, but he also cares about the good things, who we are. And so as we get to know him, And as we are known by him, it helps us to fight this insignificance and realize that he loves you. He loves me. He knows us by name, and he desires a relationship with us. So yes, we can take our problems to him, but as we spend time with him, whether it's good, whether it's bad, we get to know him, he gets to know us, this insignificance starts to fade away. The last struggle I run into, and this is really where we're going to lean in today, is honesty. If I'm talking to God, if I'm spending time in prayer, and I'm saying everything that I feel in some situations, it's not good. If I'm honest with him about this thing that's happening in my life, I'm angry. I'm even asking, God, where are you? Why should I even believe in you if you're going to let this thing happen? 
I'm angry at these other people. I'm angry at you. This is not fair. It's unjust. Can we say that to God? For whatever reason, we feel like we have to have it all together. But if we only prayed when we had it together, we wouldn't pray very often. And a lot of us think we have to hold a little bit back. How many hard conversations have you had to have in your life where maybe it's a family member, a coworker, you have to like sit down and work through a difficult situation? You gotta talk about some frustrations with each other, but almost always we hold that last little bit back. We tell them what we're frustrated about, but then that last part where we're like, and by the way, no one likes you and you're terrible to be around. <laughs> That's a hard thing to say. But what if we could say all of that to God? We didn't have to hold a single thing back. So today we're gonna talk about how we engage God with all of who we are. We're gonna do that by looking at Psalm 69. I encourage you to read the whole chapter when you get a chance this week. It's pretty long, so we're not gonna go through all of it today, but what I wanna do is just highlight some of the emotions that we see in it, because as we validate and recognize those emotions, it helps us learn how to be honest in our communication with God. We're gonna see highs, lows, anger, sadness, vengeance, spitefulness, and honestly, it's so relatable. Because as much as I would like for my life to be right here, the reality is we live here. This is life. That is the most real version assessment of how life goes for us. I'd love to live up here. I'd even settle for just right here. But that's not how it goes. And as we read this psalm, we recognize that David experienced it too. All of God's people for centuries have experienced this same thing. And as we learn how to have conversations with him, all of it, it strengthens our relationship. So here's what I want to do. I want to just pick out a few things from this psalm that I think help us along this journey. So the first thing that we find is despair. This is tough. Like, just complete and utter hopelessness as David is talking about the situation that's happening in his life. Let's look at verse 1 right here. Here's what he says. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted and crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. This is real. All of us have experienced this at some point. All of us have experienced this probably this week at some point. How many times in life do we just face what seems like an utterly hopeless situation? And just cry out to God, I don't know how I'm going to be able to go on. This is too much. I don't know where to go or who to turn to. This is hopeless and I don't know what to do. It's okay to pray this. If this is what we feel, if this is what is going on in our lives, God can handle it. Here's the next thing we find. Skipping forward to verse 22. We'll get there in just a second. It's spite. Like vengeance, anger at other people. When you are wronged by someone else, how does that make you feel? Here's how it made David feel. Let the bountiful table set before them, this is his enemies, become a snare and their prosperity become a trap. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and make their bodies shake continually. Pour out your fury on them. Consume them with your burning anger. Let their homes become desolate and their tents be deserted. Can you say that? I mean, we all feel it. Like when other people do something to hurt us, it's frustrating, it's upsetting. But David was like, 
Make them go blind. Let their bodies shake continually. Make their tents be deserted. These are really raw, angry feelings towards injustice that's happened to him. The next time somebody makes you mad, just text them these verses, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't use the Psalms as passive-aggressive ways to get back at other people. But if we feel this, can we say it? We're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but there's a difference between saying what we feel and acting on what we feel. And acknowledging and recognizing our emotions helps us to turn them over to God and to trust him with them. Now, there's so many different more emotions that we experience in this psalm, and again, I encourage you to go read it, but let's look at how it ends. This is the last emotion that we find. Praise. After all of that, despair, spitefulness, vengeance, anger, David somehow ends the psalm by praising God for who he is. In verse 34, this is what he says. Praise him, O heaven and earth, the seas and all that move in them, for God will save Jerusalem and rebuild the towns of Judah. His people will live there and settle in their own land. The descendants of those who obey him will inherit the land, and those who love him will live there in safety. Praise him, O heaven and earth. Praise God for who he is. If David ends that way, does that trivialize everything else that he just said? Does it minimize the pain that he felt in despair or the injustice that happened to him from his enemies? Can we be this honest in prayer? I think the amazing thing is that as we do this, as we let God in on all that's happening in our lives, it gives us so much freedom to recognize the realness and to let him into it. We can tell God, God, I'm so angry at you right now. I can't believe this is happening. But that's not freedom to live in those negative emotions. We validate them. We give them credibility in our lives. But honesty with God allows us to strengthen our relationship with him. The hard part is it doesn't come naturally to us. Being honest with him is just not a thing that we're taught very often. We feel like we have to have it all together. And the reason why I think it's difficult for us to be honest in prayer is because we don't like tension. Here's what happens in this psalm. When you have conflicting emotions, anger, sadness, joy, praise, those things don't go together. And when two things are in conflict with one another, it creates tension. And we don't like tension. We're always finding ways to get out of it. But if this has all of it, And if, honestly, our life has all of these things, too, how do we learn to live in this tension? I think this graphic helps us understand it. So from a young age, we're taught this. God is good. If you grew up in church, you sang songs about it, you're taught Bible stories about who God is and the goodness that he has and love for his people. Even if you didn't grow up in church, Somewhere along the way, we're taught that there's like a goodness to the world. We believe things are going to work out, that everything's going to be okay. But over time, that begins to get cracked and broken as this next thing happens. Bad stuff. We have this view of the world being good, of God's goodness, but then what do we do with all of these things that we can't explain? Difficulty, pain, suffering of different kinds. And tragically, it happens at a younger age for some people where this begins to get shattered and you start to experience this. And for centuries, scholars, philosophers have tried to explain and reconcile how these two things exist 
together. Even in our faith, we have a basic framework as to why this happens. We believe that God is good, that at the beginning he created everything as it should be, but because of our choices, sin was brought into this world and that brokenness causes pain and difficulty. And while our sin may not have direct consequences of like this thing that's happening to me is because I made a mistake, on a bigger picture, it's because of sin that happened that we all choose somewhere along the way. And those answers are, are okay, but when they're big philosophical answers, this is why evil exists, this is why God is still good, that's one thing. But what about when something happens to me? Those answers don't feel as helpful anymore. Yes, we can explain on a higher level why it happens, but this pain that I'm feeling is very real. And so because these two things exist, here's what we have in the middle tension. God is good. We believe this wholeheartedly. At the same time, when we look at our lives, there are bad things that have happened, painful and difficult things. And when two things that are in conflict with each other exist at the same time, here's what we're left with. Tension. And like I said earlier, most of us don't like tension. We're always looking for ways out of it. So here's what we do. We swing from one side to the other. We ignore the bad stuff. We pretend like everything's okay. God, you're good. I trust you. I know you have a plan. This thing that you have that I'm going through that's so difficult, it must be a blessing. It's not, it's not a bad way to think, but if we're completely ignoring the other things, it's kind of just this incomplete way of acknowledging what's happening in our lives. Or maybe we swing to the other side. God, I don't even know if you exist. I'm so angry and mad at you. I don't even know if I, if I can believe this part at all, so I'm just gonna live over here. And because we don't like this, we're always trying to find one side or the other, but what if the answer was to find a way to live here? We believe that one day this will all be resolved, that we'll live right here but not yet. We're not there yet. We live right here. What if our job was to embrace the tension? When I think of tension, it reminds me of my first job that I had right out of college. So when I was in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I wish I could tell you guys, like, from a young age, God called me to be a pastor. I knew it, but it wasn't until later on. So I majored in business and Spanish, thinking, those are two broad things. You know, I can do a lot with it. I won't use it specifically, but it'll be helpful. So my first job out of college was as the manager of a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Business, Spanish, I mean, right away, right away, put to work. And if you wanna talk about tension, go work in a restaurant for a little while. Those of you who've worked in the restaurant industry before, you know what it's like. Needy customers constantly wanting things to be just right. Employees that are fighting with one another or they're showing up late to work, they're not dependable and you're trying to cover all these shifts. Cooks and servers fighting with each other about whose fault it is that this thing got messed up. In the midst of a crazy rush, a dinner rush, we run out of avocados and I have to send someone to the store to buy a case from Walmart so that we can finish out that shift. And in the midst of all of that, someone wants to speak to the manager. And unfortunately, you know, I look around, oh, that's me. All right, here we go. So you go out and talk to people. It's different kinds of problems. Most of the time, not that big of a deal. 
oh my gosh, your onions weren't on the side. I am so sorry. This tragedy, how can we fix it in your life? Hopefully not that sarcastically, you know, as you're talking to people. But there were times where it just wasn't enough. Like no matter how much you try to help and appease people, this one particular situation, we'd messed up this person's order and I'm trying to help make it right and it just keeps escalating. No matter how much I try to keep my cool and help them out, it gets to the point where they call the cops on us for having bad service in the restaurant. I am not making this story up. Who calls the cops when you have bad service at a restaurant? It's just a gentle reminder to treat people in the service industry with kindness. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. It's not the point. But the only way that we survived in the restaurant was by embracing the tension. If we tried to get out of it, to avoid it as things were escalating and we felt like, I don't want to do this anymore. How do we escape this tension? You're done for. You were never going to make it. We had to learn how to live in that tension of so many things that were happening at the same time, embracing it and finding peace in it. And when I think about life and the reality of this, I think that's the answer for us too. How do we learn how to live here? What if it's not our job to reconcile these two things? to figure out why they both exist. And we have some answers to it, but like the ultimate big resolution, what if in order to seek God and who he is in this life, in the midst of our brokenness and pain, it's our job to live here? So how do we do that? If our job is to embrace the tension, what does that look like? I think we have to validate these experiences. We validate that God is good. Our experiences of who he is, we believe wholeheartedly that he has a plan for our lives. At the same time, just like David did in the Psalms, we acknowledge the difficult things that are happening in our lives with a realness and an openness of how it's making us feel. And as we do that, it gives us the freedom to live here. So I think there's a couple things that we learn from this Psalm that allow us just to embrace this, to answer this question. How do we live with tension? Here's the first one. We have to acknowledge our true feelings. I have this bad habit. When I feel something that's negative, I push it down because I think I'm not supposed to feel that way. It's not a good thing to feel that emotion. But when I'm denying what I feel, it prevents me from turning it over to God, even if it's not good. There's a difference between saying what we feel and acting on what we feel. As we acknowledge it to God, it allows us to trust him with it. Instead of shoving it to the side and saying, it's not good to feel that, we accept it, that it exists, that is a real and natural human response to difficult things that happen to us. It's not freedom to act on that emotion, but we recognize it. Say, God, this is how I feel about this thing. And it's not good. It's angry. It's resentful. It's spiteful. Whatever it might be, everything that we just saw in this psalm, we tell God about it. And it allows us to trust him with it. Here's the next thing that we find. We learn how to value the ordinary. We're always looking for these big answers. This graphic that I just showed. We're looking for like, how do we resolve this? But most of life, answers come usually in small steps, in the little things. As much as we'd like to have big resolutions to our problems, every now and then that happens. 
But I think most, for most of us, our experience is just little by little learning who God is, what he's doing in our lives. One of the best examples that we find of this is in the Old Testament, the story of God leading his people out of Egypt, Moses leading them through the desert in order to feed and take care of his people. Here's what God did every day. He sent bread from heaven, but he did it one day at a time. And for the people who tried to gather up two or three or four days worth of bread, he made that bread go bad so that they would depend on him daily. Not, okay, I've got everything I need. God, I don't need you for a little while. I need you today and tomorrow. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, when he says to seek that daily bread, this is what he means. Valuing the ordinary in mundane parts of our lives. Seeking God on a regular basis. Recognizing that we may not get the answers we want, the big answers that we want. But he can give us the answer for today. What we need right now, in this moment, and as we learn to trust him, we recognize that he'll do the same tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And as we do that, our faith is grown so much stronger through these small steps than if God would have just resolved this big thing in our lives in one huge step. It's not an easy thing to do, but living on this daily bread principle allows us to be at peace in this tension that we experience. Here's the last thing. We have to learn how to seek wholeness. Here's what I mean by that. There's a Hebrew word, shalom, and it's often translated as peace. And peace is not a bad definition for it. It's just a little bit incomplete. It also signifies wholeness or completeness. So we think back to the beginning when God created the world and man and God and creation lived in harmony with one another and everything was as it should be. That is wholeness, shalom. But because of sin, that was broken. And God could have left us in that brokenness, but because of his great love for us, he created a plan to bring restoration back to the way things should be. Through his son Jesus, he created a way for us to restore this wholeness and completeness with him, but not yet. And so our job is to seek it here and now. I like to think of it as like when you're putting a puzzle together. So over the last few years, my daughters and I, we've started to get into puzzles some, and I don't want to brag, but I am killing it at the 24-piece puzzle right now. It only takes me about two hours to complete it. So we've been slowly working our way up. We've done some 500-piece puzzles, and, and here's what happens. When you're putting a puzzle together, what's the first thing you do? You put the box, the back of the box, in front of you so you know what it's supposed to be. But then you look down at 500 or more pieces, and here's what we think. I know where this is going, but I have no idea how we're going to get there. And I think that's what it means to seek wholeness in the tension of life. We have the picture on the back of the box. We know what it's supposed to look like, but we look down at the pieces in front of us and realize, I don't know how we're going to get there. We recognize it's not our job actually, to figure out how we're going to get there. And the way that we seek wholeness in this life is by actively participating in building the kingdom of God here and now. Even though it's not fully complete yet, even though it won't be in this life, we still have work to do right here and now. We start to put the pieces together. We seek who God is in the midst of this brokenness and pain. We recognize that there is a bigger picture and a higher purpose to all of this. There's another aspect to the definition of this word, shalom. 
It also indicates a repayment of a debt. So when a debt is owed, things are out of balance. But when that debt is paid, shalom, wholeness, completeness. And you see, you and I have a debt that needed to be repaid. And because God sent his son Jesus into the world to take the punishment that we deserve, he allowed that wholeness and that completeness to happen. And even though we don't fully experience it here and now, we trust and know that it's coming. And so we seek that wholeness in this life by developing a relationship with him, by learning who he is, allowing ourselves to be known by him, and little by little putting the pieces together that he reveals to us in our lives. It doesn't make this tension go away, but it allows us to embrace it and to live in it. Bad things happen. They are unfair and they are unjust, but God is good. I want to go back to this graphic for just a second. We can validate these things in our lives and believe that somehow it will all be made right as we live right here. As much as we long and yearn for it to be resolved, we trust in this while acknowledging this with honesty and with openness, recognizing that it's not our job to have the big answers as to why this is, but trusting that this part is true and that God has a plan to work it all out for our good. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest men in the New Testament. One of the great leaders after the time of Jesus in the early church. And this is what he had to say about it. In 1 Corinthians 13, as he's talking about this concept, he says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me. One of the most godly men to have ever lived admits all that I know now is partial and incomplete. I can't see the big picture. What's happening right now in front of me, I can't explain it. It's painful. It hurts. But I know something better is coming. And I think the key for us as we embrace this is this. Honest communication with God allows us to embrace the tension of creation. We tell him all of it, just like David did. The good, the bad, the ugly, the things that we think we're not allowed to say. We thank God for the good, for who he is. We tell him the difficult things and every emotion that comes with it. And as we do that, we learn to live in this tension. Not just to live in it, but to be at peace in it. To embrace it. To recognize who God is in the midst of it. And the reason that we can do that is because we know the beginning and the end. We've seen the back of the box. When we go back to the beginning in Genesis 1, this is what God said about creation. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Shalom. And then as that was broken, what we're living in the midst of right now, we go to the end of the story to see where it's going. Revelation 21, almost at the very end of the Bible, talking about how it's going to be. 
He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. We believe this will happen, but not yet. So in the meantime, it's our job to embrace this tension, not to try to escape it, to get out of it, but to learn that even in the midst of it, we can be builders of God's kingdom in this life. And the only way that we can do that is by seeking this wholeness with God because of his son, Jesus. And so today, if, if you've never experienced that, if you've never had a relationship with Jesus before and you're stuck in this tension with no way out, with no explanation, can I just invite you in to a relationship with him? I wish I could promise you that it would make all of the bad things go away, but I can't promise that. What I can promise is that he will give us peace and hope and joy that doesn't make sense. An unexplainable peace in the midst of this tension that we experience. I think for all of us, the encouragement is learning to live in that place. Just like David did in this psalm, our honest communication with him allows us to embrace the tension of creation, recognizing that there's a plan. We know where this is going, but we're not there yet. Would you pray with me? God, every one of us in this room, we're here today. At every campus, for those people watching online, because we have the desire to know you more, to make sense of this life, to find meaning and purpose. And God, for all of us, as we communicate with you honestly, tell you the things that are happening in our lives, what we ask for is your peace in the midst of it. Affirmation of your goodness Affirmation that you have a plan for our lives that allows us to live in this tension that we face. And as we do that, God, we, we learn to trust in you, to trust in your plan, and that it's for our good. We love you, and we ask all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.